And today I want to look at how surrendering control leads to receiving transformational grace from God. That the enemy of intimacy with God, intimacy is abiding, it's walking, it's delighting, it's being in that space of being the child with God. The enemy of intimacy with God is the illusion of control. Is the illusion of control. That in reality, you and I as human beings have very, very little control over our bodies in that sense, our health or the health of our loved ones or economies or situations. We have very little control, but often we hold on to the illusion of control and that robs us of intimacy of trust with God. Control leads to living an independent life from God and is an expression of mistrust. And many people say that the illusion of control is at the root of fear. Fear dominates our heart when we are not positioned through identity to enjoy intimacy with Father and receive grace from him. So that's what we're going to unpack, that we're going to unpack the, the, what, what it takes to surrender to God and the benefits of a surrendered life to God. Before you and I, if you became a Christian, or maybe you're not a Christian this morning, the, the human state when a person is born is that a person is alienated from God and the Bible says actually an enemy of God in their minds. It's very interesting that our issue is that we are enemies of God rather than God is our enemy. Jesus is very clear that the woman sweeps looking for the coin, looking for the lost coin. The father waits for the son to come home and the good shepherd goes out and looks for the lost sheep and leaves the 99. God is always looking to restore and bring his children back home. But in our minds, we were born in a state of not surrendered and we were alienated and enemies in our minds. Can I use this illustration from a book I read that kind of describes what it looks like to be an enemy of God? And the writer uses the illustration of the actor or the director. The actor-director wants to run the whole show but without God. That was our state before coming to Christ we wanted to run the whole show. We wanted to be the director of everything. We wanted to arrange all the lights to be exactly where we wanted them and to give the mood that we wanted. We wanted to design the scenery exactly the way that we wanted it to be. And many of us might have experienced we wanted the other people, the other actors in our life, to do exactly the way we wanted them to behave. We wanted to run the whole thing. Sometimes, maybe it's just me, but we, as that moment of trying to run the whole thing, we lived maybe frustrated or resentful. And we thought, if only the people in my life would do things exactly the way I want, and maybe even if only God would do exactly the way I want him to do, then my life would be great. Then my life would be wonderful. If only everything was the way I wanted it, 
or the people in my life or the actors in my life are acting just the way I wanted them, then I would be pleased and life would be wonderful. And so in this space, and it can happen when we've not come to Christ, it can continue in coming to Christ, we might use things like um, being really kind and really considerate to get what we want. That we might be acting patient or generous or even modest or even self-sacrificing in order to get everything just the way we want it to be. Or, and on the other hand, we might know people, or we might have found ourselves like this, we might become mean or egotistical or selfish or dishonest. And if we're honest, probably we've all been both the person who uses kindness and generosity and patience to get what we want, and we've all probably known times as well where maybe we've been egotistical and selfish and dishonest to get what we want. And when life or the show doesn't look exactly the way we imagined, the person, the director, can begin to spiral and become frustrated because life isn't treating him or her the way he wants. This isn't fair. Maybe the outcome isn't the outcome he wanted. So sometimes people then exert power to get what they want. They begin to blame other people. Some people become even more demanding. Some people actually become even more gracious to get what they want. Some people blame, self-judge, judge other people, become angry, self-seeking, or even ultra-nice to get things to look the way they want. And then we discover that the more we fight and try to get things to go our way, the more resentful, frustrated, and peaceless we begin to feel. We become dominated by anger and a sense of futility. And to some degree, that's what's going on pretty much all around us, is this battle of the will to get what they want, get what we want, and to feel resentful when we don't get what we want. And the worst thing is that nobody can control this themselves, that nobody can remove self-centeredness in their own power, that people can perform and try and modify, but actually as human beings we desperately needed help in order to get into a place where we could surrender and receive help. So that's a kind of picture of what it might feel like to live alienated from God. But when we come to Christ and we receive grace and we receive acceptance and when we find out we're truly, fully, completely, freely, 100% loved, suddenly it's safe to surrender. Suddenly it's safe to surrender. And only God is able to disempower the self at the centre. When grace comes, we're able to say, God, I'm going to quit playing God. I'm going to quit being the director. I'm going to quit being the actor who wants it all to be just the way I want. We accept that we don't know everything, can't control everything, and that control is an illusion. And we accept that it doesn't work to try and pretend to be God. Grace empowers us to trust God, that he is the father and I am his child. That he, in a sense, in reality, is the great director, and he includes us wonderfully in his wonderful story 
that he's outworking in the earth right now. That love woos us, love melts our heart, and in the presence of love and intimacy, we lay down the illusion of control, and for the joy set before us, we deny ourselves and we choose through a revelation of the Spirit to follow Jesus. Luke 9.23, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, so a disciple is a learner, is a follower and a servant of the Lord Jesus. It's someone who becomes apprenticed to the way of Jesus. Whoever wants to be my apprentice must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So the life of intimacy, this life of intimacy with God, sits on a foundation of love that causes us to willingly deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily. So the goal of this morning isn't necessarily a one-time experience of surrender, but rather a daily practice, a daily application of the reality that God knows better than me and that God knows better than you and that the universe is not a play in which I am the main actor and the director and everything else is either a prop or a servant of my dreams or what I want. So trusting infinite God rather than our finite selves is how we enjoy intimacy with God. Humbly relying on him. Do you know that it's possible to have an image of God that's got nothing to do with the reality of who God is? You know, many people can say, yeah, I believe in God. And maybe the question we should say and ask is, what kind of God do you believe in? Because there are many Christians who say, yeah, I believe in God, but everything they do looks like they're carrying God. Not understanding that he is carrying them. That a true revelation of God as infinite and majestic and awesome and wonderful requires us to receive from him rather than think we've got to give something to him. It's allowing him to carry us is how we enjoy intimacy. In intimacy we enjoy new power, new peace, new presence, and in intimacy we lose our fear and live from grace alone. That perfect love casts out of fear because we fear when we believe we could be punished and then we perform to try to avoid punishment but perfect love casts out all fear grace casts out all fear and breaks the illusion that we are in control in this place of intimacy we discover that God is only gracious that God does not have a hidden <coughs> mean side that is about to unleash on you. God is not fickle. He doesn't change his mind about you. This is an amazing thing about his love as well. His love has no agenda. See, 
You could misunderstand this and think, right, God wants me to be in intimacy with him and he wants me to walk with him and he wants me to abide with him so that he can make my life more impactful for him. His agenda is to love you because he loves you, to be with you because he likes you, and he wants to shower on you his love because he absolutely loves you. His goal is not to make you more efficient or more impactful. If you walked away from this whole series and said, I I I'm going to enjoy God, but... Actually, I don't really want to believe him to prophesy over anybody. I don't want to believe him to heal the sick. And I don't want to tell anybody about Jesus. Well, God would still love you. Like, it's not like his love comes alive when we take a risk. It's not like his love comes alive towards us when we are more efficient in our prayers or more efficient in our study or more efficient in evangelism. He loves us because he loves us and he is only gracious towards us. He just loves you. So when you wake up in the morning and say, I want to be with you, Father. I want to be with you, God. I want to hang out with you. He doesn't then get the kind of accountant out of and says, right, accountant, tell me how much this person has done and do they now deserve to be in my presence? He does not change his mind about you. His love does not suffer wear and tear. <laughs> you know, we think, right, I'm, the moment I came to Christ, the old has gone, the new has come, and then the new gets worn down a bit, and a bit battered, and a bit dented, and a bit wear, worn down, there's a bit of wear and tear. And he kind of loved us when we were all fresh and new, but now we've had a few knocks, and we've had a few setbacks, and we might have failed, and we might have got it wrong. We think, of course his love has waned. We think, yeah, he can redeem me and save me and set me free from my old and into the new, but if I don't make enough effort in the new, his love is going to suffer wear and tear. No, he is only gracious towards you, and his grace is new every morning. His you could say it's new every second, it's new every moment, it's new every nanosecond, it's new all the time. So the best example of the surrendered life is the little child. Jesus said in Mark 10, 15, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So the child, the little child, is not a position that is attained to through effort. We don't say, right, from this morning onwards, you're going to work hard at being the little one, being the little child. No, it is an identity that you're born again into, you become the little one. You have the status and identity as a pure gift of God, that the moment you, you, you say to Jesus yes to your offer to be invited into his life, you begin to experience the intimacy of the child. It's a gracious gift. A child is a child. It's not something more to do. It's something to rest in and enjoy, an identity to relish. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that our identity is child of God. It's, 
The cry of intimacy is out of the reality of our identity that we are a child of God. You are a child of God if you're a Christian here this morning. That's just who you are. You can't get away from the reality that he loves you, that he delights in you, that he rejoices over you, that he's for you, that his passionate love is always towards you. You can't get away from that. But you can uh, cease to experience the wonder and the beauty of it if we hold on to the illusion of control or, or fear. So in Christ, we're actually invited to grow up and become childlike. To become childlike. We're actually invited to become smaller. We're invited just to simply be the teachable one. I'm following you, Jesus. I want to be apprenticed by you. Teach me how to walk by the Spirit like you did. Teach me how to pray like you pray. Teach me to believe the Bible like you believe. Teach me how to walk in all the things that you did, the greater works. I'm being small. I want to be the teachable one. I want to be the little one, the small one, the naive one, the one who just believes it because Papa said it. Who, the one who lays aside all cynicism, all questions that lead to unbelief and just becomes small and teachable and like clay malleable. To be the little one and to experience the joy of the child. The child doesn't understand very much, doesn't really, can't really do very much. The child doesn't really contribute very much to family economies. The child doesn't necessarily carry any weight or any practical burden. The child is the little one who gets carried by the big one, God. And so surrender is not the way of weakness, but is actually the way of strength. Is the way of strength. And so you can ask yourself the question this morning, and maybe it's about areas where you feel you want to be in control. Maybe it's areas where you relate to, I'm trying to get my way, I'm trying to make things happen the way I want them to happen. What if today you surrendered like the child and just said, I don't really understand, but I trust you? What if you let go of all the thoughts of striving for different circumstances? I'm not saying that you shouldn't apply for different jobs. I'm not saying that you, you, you shouldn't have dreams. And later on in the series, we'll talk about dreaming with God. We'll talk about partnering with God. We'll talk about your uniqueness and what God has got for you in the earth. But what if you just relaxed in God instead of striving for different circumstances? What if this morning you just embraced being loved and even in this moment said, God, this is, this is where following Jesus is a nuanced thing. It's, it's like you, you want to be healed. But what if in this moment you just let him embrace you and you said, I accept life as it is. And what I mean is you, you're saying to God, of course, I want that family member to come to Christ. Of course, I, I want a, a house. 
of course I want to get married. Of course I want you to heal my body and heal my mind. But in this moment, I'm saying, you are enough. Can you see how you can hold those two things? The longing for the kingdom to come, the longing for the rule to come, the longing for the king who brings breakthrough and deliverance and healing and provision. All those things that we want and believe and, and trust him for, but at the same time saying, somehow in this moment I accept it, life, just the way it is. Just the way it is. I lay down all the striving, all the attempts to maybe even manipulate or get things to be the way I want them. I lay it all down and I accept life is in your hands. I accept that most change is in the hands of God. That I let go of the idea that I am the ultimate authority. I leave my life in your hands. And the serenity prayer really is such a helpful, wonderful balance. God, grant me, gift me the serenity, the peace, the tranquility and the calm to accept things the way to, to, to accept things the way they are, I think I've got the wording wrong there, but also the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm. To understand that there are some things we just leave in the hands of God. It doesn't matter how much we might strive or try and do many different methods to get what we want. It's in the hands of God and changes in the hands of God. But there are also things that God says, hey, with me, in intimacy, out of your identity as a child, you can impact, you can change it. God grant me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference between the things I accept and the things I need courage for. When he is at the centre, peace comes. Joy bubbles up. Faithfulness is effortless. From the place of rest, our relationship with Father God flourishes. I was reminded yesterday of the, I don't know any much about it, but the Copernican Revolution. Copernicus, who discovered that the earth is not the centre of the universe. That the sun is. And the earth revolves around the sun. That's what it means to come to Christ. It's a Copernican revolution where before we believed that the universe revolved around us, our wants, our needs, our goals, our ambitions, and that everything belonged to us, our time, our gifts, our talents, our resources, they're all ours. And then in the kingdom of God, we meet this benevolent, glorious, majestic king, and we realize, no, the human is not the center of the universe. God is the centre of the universe and the centre of the whole cosmos and everything. And our lives begin to revolve around him, around his hopes, around his dreams, around his purposes in the earth. We resolve, we revolve around him. It doesn't belong to me anymore. And in that place, if it all revolving around him, everything suddenly takes on beauty and meaning. Everything suddenly becomes marvellous and wonderful. The smallest <laughs> details become, wow, I'm revolving around you, King Jesus. And in this place of rest, my relationship with the Father flourishes. Joy bubbles up. Faithfulness is effortless. 
Generosity becomes our delight. And so what have we looked at this morning? That the enemy of intimacy with God is the illusion of control. We've understood that to see control broken and all those kind of self-willed bad habits broken, we need to experience the unconditional love of God that makes surrender possible. A God whose only agenda is to love us, not to make us more efficient or impactful. And the key to surrender is to have the identity of the little one, the small one, the child, and embrace the joy of the child.